This morning earlier, I was thinking about Mother's Day and Mother's Days of the past. You never know when one particular Mother's Day is going to be the one that kind of sets the standard for the others. So those of you who still have your mothers with you, then make sure that every Mother's Day you give special attention to that day. And like I said, you just don't know which one is going to become meaningful. To me, uh, it was when I was in either the third or fourth grade, still quite young, and, uh, but I, I, we lived in a small town, so I pretty much had the run of the town. I could go wherever I wanted to go. Well, when Mother's Day came along, I'd been saving my allowance for a few weeks. I got a quarter a week. I don't want you guys to ever fuss about your allowance, okay? A quarter a week. But that was pretty good for then. It certainly allowed me to buy what I had to buy. But I saved it up, and I went to downtown to Whacker's. Now, I didn't have anybody in first service who knew what Whackers was. Carolyn Kirby does, because her real name is Carolyn Davis, and she grew up in Monaghan's too. Uh, Whackers was a chain of stores a lot like Woolworth and uh, what are those five and dime stores that were around. But anyway, uh, those are kind of a thing of the past now. But no, I didn't have any more than a dollar. And I went there and bought what I could buy, and what I bought was a vase, a brown vase, an ugly brown vase. (laughs) And I went and gave it to my mom, and of course, she just acted like it was wonderful. And that vase stayed in her living room, in her little curio cabinet, in a prominent place there in her house for the rest of her life. And I would see that vase. At first, I thought it was beautiful. It became uglier as I grew up, and I realized, poor mom. (laughs) But to her, it was precious because I had given it to her on Mother's Day. And the first thing, whenever it came time for my sister and I to meet at my parents' house and to uh, begin to pack things away and move things out, uh, the first thing I picked up for my house to go with me was that brown vase. And what occurred to me was that, you know, the people who made that vase, it was probably made in a factory and it just whirled down a line and somebody saw it go by with a bunch of other brown vases and somebody probably had to pick it up and look at it to see if it was cracked or anything. And somebody had to pick it up and put it in a box and Then some lady at Whackers had to take it out of the box and put it on the shelf. And all those other people who handled it had no idea that that vase would become such a symbol of love. So you never know. Just encourage those of you whose moms are still with you to take every opportunity to tell them you love them and how much they mean to you. You never know which one is the one you'll carry in your heart all your life. All right. Now we're going to talk about Ascension Day. Would you be standing, please, as we read this passage from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23? This, when Paul wrote this, it was one long sentence, but we've divided it into five sentences, so uh, try to get the gist of what he's saying here. Paul says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. 
I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. May God bless the reading of his word. Most every morning, our alarm goes off at 5.30. Actually, it's a radio that goes off at 5.30, and it's tuned to a station where the news is playing, so I lie there in the darkness for a while. You know, it is still dark at 5.30. I lie there in the darkness for a while, catching up on all the terrible things that have happened while I was asleep. But eventually, I know I've got to get up because we have a neighbor that's going to be standing on our front porch waiting for us to come out and take our dogs and go for a walk. So there's no option of staying in bed. So eventually, I roll over and reach for the lamp beside the bed there and turn it on. And wow, is that light bright. All you can see is just light There it is. Now, you would have think by now, after all these years, I would learn that when I'm going to turn that light on to shut my eyes or to look away, you know, when I turn the light on. But it's 530 in the morning, okay? And Tommy's not thinking real well. And so I turn the light on, and I'm looking right at it every time. And boom, there it is. Reminds me of the old movie Gremlins. Bright light, bright light. Remember that? Any? Anybody? Oh, yeah, the great movie. Okay, yeah. And it's just blinding. And so for a little bit, I'm just there like, whoa, what is this? But it doesn't take long until my eyes adjust and begin looking around and can orient myself of where I am and, you know, where the door is and where my shoes are and all these things because the light begins to serve its purpose then. You know, light isn't really meant to blind us. Light is meant to, to show us our surroundings and to make it possible for us to function in the world around us. I was watching not too long ago, uh, a few months ago, maybe a special on, I believe it's the History Channel. It sounds like a History Channel program. The Hundred Inventions That Changed Our World or something along that line. I can remember that Right at the very top of the list, one of the top five anyway, was the light bulb. And they talked about how the invention of artificial light changed who we are. Because before that, the sources of light were not that good. And so when the sun went down and it got dark, it really limited what you could do. 
and how you could function. And you, you, now with artificial light, night can be day. We can do anything at night. We can do in the day. We can play baseball at night. You, know, you can just go and do whatever you want to do because you can turn a light on and, and see around you. Light certainly does change who we are, changes our ability to see, and the way we perceive the things that are around us. I read an essay this week by a man named Rowan Williams called Ascension Day was the name of the uh, essay. And in that essay, he compares our experience to light to how the disciples of Jesus experienced first the resurrection of Jesus and then his ascension. When Jesus was first resurrected, it was a bright light. It was like, whoa, what is that? It's all they could think about. Someone who had died, someone whom they loved, who was dead and buried, is now alive again. And for 40 days, they were dazzled by the light of Jesus. For 40 days, they huddled around him. And his light shone in their eyes. But at the end of 40 days, he led them out of the city. And he blessed them. And basically what he told them was, now you guys need to start looking around and seeing what's out there. Go into all the nations and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. But don't worry, I'll be with you through all of that. And then he ascended into heaven. The light receded into the background and began to truly be the light of the world. And the disciples began seeing the world around them through the eyes and through the light of Jesus. That's why the ascension is so vital to our faith. We sometimes forget that. We sometimes forget what an important role Jesus ascending into heaven was. We think, you know, when we think about Jesus, maybe sometimes we, we really emphasize his life and the events of his life, and we talk about his teachings, and we marvel at his parables that he told, and we learn how, you know, what was all going on and what the kingdom of God is about, and, and then we, we look at his miracles, and, and then we, of course, hear the story of his death and try to comprehend what Jesus dying on the cross means for us. And then we're dazzled by his resurrection, that he who was dead now lives again. But too often, our story of Jesus ends there. And we fail to realize how important it is that the light of the world ascended into heaven and that his light now shines in our world. And it is through that light that we can see that we can see the world as God sees the world. In the text that we were reading in Ephesians, Paul is talking to some people that he loves dearly. And these are people that he knows by name. 
You know, when he, when he writes these letters, some of the letters he wrote to churches he had never met, but most of them are written to people that he knew pretty well. He had worked with these people in Ephesus for three years. He could just go through and list who they were. And by doing that, he knew what the things they struggled with were as well. And he knew what, what they really needed from him. And so as he writes this letter, he really focuses in on the power of God as seen through Jesus. For example, verse 19 says, I'm writing about this. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe according to the working of this great power? You know, it's just power, power, power all the way through this, this particular verse, this, this passage. Because what Paul wants them to know is that, that God is at work. God is alive through his son Jesus. And this is a powerful thing. But listen as he continues on. God put this power to work in Christ. Now, that's an important statement. If Christ is powerful in us, where did this power, uh, where is it located? Where did it, it show itself? God put this power to work in Christ, number one, when he raised him from the dead and, you know, those of you who love language as much as I do, I know you're fascinated by the power of little words. You know, we have these great big words that are are big concepts that make us kind of think about all these heavy things and all, but those big words don't mean anything without the little words that join them together in relationship. And and is one of those little words that's so important because the power of God is manifested, yes, in the resurrection of Christ and his ascension. Keep on reading. And when he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. He put all things under his feet. He's made him the head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is Christ's body. The church is the fullness of him who fills up everything. The power of God is at work, not only whenever Jesus was resurrected, but it really became meaningful to us when he ascended. Now, we know that Jesus often referred to himself as light, and now that he has returned to the Father and is seated in glory, that light is available to all of us who believe as we make our way through this world which is why Paul was praying something for these people. As he's talking about the power, he says, I have a prayer for you. Listen to what Paul is praying for for his friends. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart, anyone know what the word is? Brian does. (laughs) With the eyes of your heart enlightened. Paul is praying, I just want you to see in the light. 
I want you to have light in your eyes. Now, there we could go a lot of different places. Man, my, my, my brain just goes. We could talk about how Jesus often talked about how the, the light comes in through our eyes, and if your eye is healthy, you're going to see the light of God. Remember that passage? And, and how important it is to have, have pure and healthy eyes so we can actually see the light of God in the world. And I could talk about how, well, what, is the, what does the world look like whenever we, we see through the light of Jesus, and we have our eyes open, and, and we're seeing... Uh, the things, the way that God sees them and Jesus sees them. And one of the things that really pops into my mind there is that we really begin to see people differently. You know, if, if we are truly people that live with the light of Jesus surrounding us and our eyes are enlightened with his light and we're seeing the world he, as he sees it, we see people differently and it changes our relationships with others. It changes how important even perfect strangers are to us. Because after all, everyone we meet bears the image of God, doesn't it? Now, it's not always easy to see that, but we see it in the light of Jesus. And we certainly see in our close relationships of husband, wife, mother, child, father, child, brother, sister, friends. We see each other the way God sees each other or each of us. And it makes a difference how we treat one another. It makes a difference how much we care. It makes a difference how much anger we express. It makes a big difference when the light of Jesus is lighting our world. But those are not the places that Paul went with this. Paul had one thing in particular that he wanted his friends in Ephesus to see when their eyes were enlightened. And that's what we want to close out with today and make sure that we're seeing that as well. Let's back up again. We're in verse uh, 18. I pray that you may have your eyes of your heart enlightened so that you may be able to see the hope. Wow. Paul says that if we are living in the light of Jesus, we can see the hope. Now, what does that mean? Well, I want to tell you something. It doesn't take much to see the darkness in this world. It doesn't take much to see the evil in this world. My goodness. Just think back a few months ago. Think back to the time you heard about the massacre at Sandy Hook Elementary School and how your heart just sank to the bottom of your stomach, didn't it? Yeah, it did. And every one of us here recognizes that as evil. And then we begin thinking, what's next? Where is this terrible thing going to rear its ugly head again? Where is it going to happen again? Who's the next person out there that's a time bomb waiting to go off? And and where is that person? And when are they going off? And can we stop it? And what can we do when we're scared even to let our children go to a place that we've treasured so much as school? It doesn't take much to see that. We can all see that. We all feel that and experience that. And then we turn on our TV and hear about the Boston Marathon bombing. And we see that video played over and over and over again. And we're thinking, okay, there it is again. Where is it going to be next time? Are we safe together in crowds anymore? Yeah, we live in San Angelo, which probably is not high on terrorist lists, but you never know. And how is this going to change our world and our lives? And 
Can we make it through? And is it just going to get worse? Anybody else asking these questions? Or am I, I guess I'm the only one. Okay. <laughs> you know, is it just going to get worse? And what's the future hold? And then we hear about some crazy guy that kidnaps three girls and keeps them for 10 years in a neighborhood where he's known and nobody knows what's going on behind those closed doors and the evil that's there. And you just think, wow, how can it be so bad? And where is our society going? And what are we going to do? See, it's easy to see that. What's hard to see is the hope. And what Paul tells us, and Jesus tells us, that it's only through the light of God that shines through Jesus that the hope becomes visible. It's through his light that we truly begin to realize that, yes, evil exists, but that good is stronger than evil, and that ultimately good will win. And yes, there will be terrible times, but God is good and God is love and that he is at work in this world too. And that through the light of Jesus, we can see his hand in the world as well. And that our faith is and the light shows us that one day good will triumph. God will win. And through the light of Jesus, Even though we can see the evil and the darkness that's around us, and we can see that death seems to conquer life on every way we turn, through the light of Jesus, we know that life is ultimately stronger than death. The longer we live, the more we see the toll as one after another whom we love dearly leaves this world. And in the darkness... And without the light of Jesus, it seems like death is winning. Death is taking one after another after another. But through the light of Jesus, we know that life will win, that life is stronger than death because God wins and God is good. It's easy for us to see our own problems our own frustrations, and to come to a point in our lives where we think that nothing can be good again, that there are no doors that can open for us, that good is the past and all that lies ahead is struggle, that there is no hope. But through the light of Jesus, we can see the hope. We can see the hope that God has placed before us and that we learn that hope is stronger than despair because God is good and God wins. There's one other passage about hope that I love. It doesn't talk about it in the terms of light, but it does talk about it in the terms of strength and going on. It's Romans chapter 5. Beautiful passage. If you're a person who memorizes Scripture, this is one that you need to have in your heart. Romans chapter 5, let me close with this. Therefore, since we have been made right with God through our faith, since we have been justified by our faith, we now have peace with God. All of this is through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and through whom we now boast. Now, I know I've talked a lot about that word. That word boast is not the best English word for Paul's word. What that word means is now we find our our energy, we find our strength, we find our excitement, we find our passion. And where do we find that? We now boast in our hope. It's the hope that gives us the power to go on. And through the light of Jesus, we see the hope. And he says, not only that, but we also find energy and power and passion and purpose even in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. And guess what character produces? Hope. And hope will never let us down. It will never disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Through the light of Jesus, we are a people of hope. We always know that better days lie ahead. We don't deny the evil. We don't deny the pain. But we don't let it win because eventually goodness will overcome and life will conquer death. And you will make it through because you see things through the light of Jesus. Let's stand and sing.